the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. Amen. Let's please be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, um, I want to start by saying a very big thank you to Pastor Zolumide Animisi. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma, for the opportunity afforded me to be here. I'm grateful. Thank you so much. Praise God. And um, I just love it when I see people passionate about God, about his word, about the things of God. It just, it lights a fire inside me. That's the truth. That's the truth. Amen. Praise God. So um, I'm, I've been told to teach on the realities of faith uh, and, our, and a health. And um, that's exactly what we will do. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you because you're our father and you're a good father. Thank you for the sessions we've had so far, for the speakers who have spoken, the people that have uh, led in one way or another, facilitated the sessions. Thank you for the truths we have learned. Thank you for this session again this afternoon. We approach your word humbly and reverently. We trust that by your spirit, you will unveil, unfold, and reveal the word of God to our spirits. We won't be hearers of the word alone, but we'll be doers of the same. And as a result, we'll be full recipients of your blessings. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's turn in our Bibles to a portion of scripture that if you're talking about the, uh, the subject of faith, uh, it's difficult not to go there. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We'll read two verses of scripture there and we'll take them as our text. Mark 11, verses 23 and 24. Now this is Jesus speaking. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. So talking about the realities of faith, which is what we're talking about. And um, four uh, truths that I believe the Lord will want me to emphasize from this portion of scriptures. Now, we know the subject of faith is a very important subject. There's no subject in the Bible that's not important. But um, certain things are very important. For instance, we know that Aaron had a beard, right? Bible talks about the oil, you know, talking about unity from Psalm 133. It's like the oil that went on Aaron's head, went to his bed, went to the skirts of his garment. You know, uh, how long was that beard? I don't know. But whether I do or I don't, doesn't matter. When I get to heaven, I may go there and find out. You know, who was taller between Abraham and Sarah? It doesn't really matter. 
You know, how broad was David's chest? I can get a tape measure and measure it in heaven, right? You know, so there are certain things that are not as important as certain other things. And God didn't just put stuff in his word to fill up space. Now, the subject of faith is a very important subject. We know we can't even get saved without faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 We know we can't live the Christian life without faith. Romans 1.17 Galatians 3.11 Hebrews 10.38 Habakkuk 2.4 The just shall live by faith. We know we can't receive God's provisions without faith. God's blessings. Romans 5.1 and 2 Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We know we can resist the devil without faith. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. American Standard Version says, In your faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished on your brethren that are in the world. We can't even please God without faith. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We can't fight spiritual battles without faith. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. We can't walk in victory without faith. 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We can't receive answers to our prayers without faith. Matthew 21, 22. And all things, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, Believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. You can't stand against the trials of life without faith. It says, for by faith ye stand. Romans 11, 20. 2 Corinthians 1, 24. We can't uh, appropriate God's power. We can't, do it. we can't do any of that without faith. We are kept by the power of God, 1 Peter 1, 5, through faith. So it's a very important subject in the Bible. And that's why it's important, and I believe God has laid it on the heart of your pastors for this subject to be examined again. You know something is that we never outgrew the basics, right? You know, four times four is still 16. Whether you're a PhD student, you're a kindergarten uh, child, you're in primary school, that's what it is. So certain things we don't outgrow. And it's good to keep going over those same basic truths over and over again. Amen. Amen. So it's a very important subject in the Bible. And we're looking at certain realities. The topic is the realities of faith. Certain realities, certain truths about faith. And four things I believe the Lord will have me emphasize from this text. Now, to give um, a background of those words that Jesus spoke in that same chapter, if you back off to the 12th verse, the Bible says, And on the morrow, 
when they were come from Bethany, talking about Jesus and his disciples, he was hungry. Now, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. In person, he was God, but not in power during his earth walk. He laid aside his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence. He came and became a man, and he lived among us. Yes, that was the second person of the Godhead, but he became a man, laid aside divine privileges, and as a man, he was hungry. The Bible says, seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came if happily might find anything thereon. Now, uh, some people have said, why was he looking for figs on that tree? It says when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. The time of figs was not yet. Why was he looking for figs on that tree if it wasn't the time for figs? I researched that. And this is what I found out. In that country, in the season that was the season for figs, figs brought forth fruit. Now, some of those fig trees, in the off fruit, off season for bearing fruit, some of them retained their leaves. Those that retained their leaves had fruit. So when Jesus saw that, yes, it wasn't the season for figs, but this particular fig tree still had leaves, so he expected it to have fruit. So he went to it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. The Bible says, time of figs was not yet. Verse 14 says, and he answered and said unto it. Imagine a man talking to a tree. And he answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Notice he didn't pray it. He just said it. Now it's scriptural to pray. But Jesus said it. Amen. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Bible says and his disciples heard it. So he spoke words that were audible. Those around. Twelve disciples. And they heard it. The way the Bible records it. The disciples heard it. That looks like all twelve of them did. So the words were audible enough. I don't know how close they were to him. But regardless of how close, if they heard it, it was audible. And then um, we now go to the 20th verse. Where the Bible says, and in the morning as they passed by. Notice in verse 12, they were coming from Bethany. They were on the way to Jerusalem. He got to Jerusalem, did stuff there, he left. And then this was the morning of the next day. In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And you can trust him. Verse 21 says, And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. 22 says, And Jesus answering, saith unto them, Have faith in God. Now, uh, the literal Greek really doesn't read that way. The literal Greek reads, have the faith of God. Which you could say is, have the God kind of faith. Now, if I tell you, have the God kind of faith, what does that mean? Uh, what will Jesus have meant by saying, have the God kind of faith? Now, is it that we don't have faith in God? We do. First Peter 1.21, the Bible says, who by him do believe in God, that your faith and hope might be in God. So we have faith in God, right? But this text is saying, have the faith of God. Which you could say is have the God kind of faith. Now, Jesus spoke to the tree and the, the tree withered. That's bound to be the God kind of faith. Remember in Hebrews 11.3, the Bible says through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
If we go to Genesis chapter 1, we'll read in that chapter. It will say again and again, and God said, let there be so and so. And then the next thing we'll see, it says, and God saw it, and it was good. And then again, and God said, why didn't he just re record that and say, and God created everything. The first day this, the second day this, the third day that. Why, and this God said, and God said, and God said, and this God said business. Why was it recorded like that? Well, because God is trying to get us to see his MO, his modus operandi, his mode of operation. That's how he works. He spoke it into being. And obviously, that's what Jesus did too. He spoke it into being. Listen, there's only one kind of faith that God has. It's the kind that produces results. So Jesus told the disciples, have the God kind of faith. Have the God kind of faith. Now remember, when Jesus said that, none of those guys was born again. The only person on the earth that had the life of God in him at that time was the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't have the life of God. So Jesus told them, have the God kind of faith. Now, what does that mean? It's like if I tell you, have patience. You know, there's something that's going on. You know, your flight was delayed. You're there, then at the airport. And then you're getting a little troubled. And I say, my guy, I, I have patience now. You know, two things that have the God kind of faith could mean. One is, possess it. Go and get it. You don't have it, so go and acquire it. Go and make sure you have it. Go and make sure you possess it. That's one meaning, he could have, one thing he could have meant. The other thing might be, if I say, have patience in that context, I mean exercise patience. So when he said, have the God kind of faith, he could have been referring to the fact that he wanted them to possess it, or he wanted them to exercise it. Now, as of that time, none of them had it. None of them was born again. None of them had the life of God. But, in the light of the finished work of redemption, is God telling the church to have the God kind of faith in the sense of to go and possess it? He's not. You know why? Which is my first point. Every believer has faith. Every believer has faith. Every believer has a measure of the God kind of faith. We do. Now, some of us may need to have it in the sense of exercise it. Right? Exercise it. But you have it. We don't need to acquire it. We got it. When did we get it? We got it at our new birth. God has dealt it to every one of us. Are you listening to me? Now, a question is this. Can somebody who's not born again exercise the God kind of faith? Absolutely. In the Old Testament, there were people who walked in faith. If you read in Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of the heroes of faith, you read of, uh, uh, starts by talking about God himself. And then talks about Abel. Talks about Enoch. Talks about uh, Abraham. Uh, Noah. Abraham. Talks about Sarah. Talks about Moses. Talks about, you know, those guys walked in faith. During Jesus' earth walk, remember the centurion in Matthew 8, 5 to 13. He exhibited great faith. The Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15, 21 to 28, she exhibited great faith. Incidentally, the only two people that are referred to in the Gospels that exhibited great faith didn't have a covenant with God. 
So you see, because man is a spirit, he's capable of believing. We'll get to that in a bit. But you see, we are not just spirits. We are believing spirits. So if an unbeliever can exercise faith, and an unbeliever can exercise faith, he has to exercise faith to become saved as an unbeliever. Isn't it? Yeah, because for by grace are you saved through faith. So he had to exercise faith as an unbeliever to become a believer. Now, if he can, how much more us who are believers? Every believer has faith. So that's my first point. Every believer has faith. I wouldn't make a statement like that if I couldn't prove it. In Romans chapter 12 and in verse 3, the Bible says, I say through the grace, Paul, writing by the inspiration of the Spirit of God to the saints at Rome, Romans 12, 3, said, I say through the grace that is given unto me, to every man that is among you. Now, among you, who? Who's the context? Romans 1, 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So, he's speaking to saints, not folks who ain't. Speaking to believers, right? I say through the grace given to me, Romans 12, 3, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, is he talking about every man in the world? No, he's not. Because he said, to every man that is among you. That is among you. Now, we know the best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. Just let scriptures interpret themselves. Amen. We take the whole Bible in context. We look at any particular text, the pretext, the post-text, the context of any particular thing. Then we look at everything that was said about that thing by that same writer, then by other writers, then in the light of the entire counsel of God's word. Remember in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul was asking the Thessalonian Christians to pray for him. You know, uh, verse 1 and verse 2, he said, pray for us that the word of God may have free course, be glorified, uh, even as it is with you. Uh, verse 2 of 2 Thessalonians 3, he said, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Now, if he's saying all men have not faith, someone said, there are contradictions in the Bible. This place says God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. This place says all men have not faith. There are contradictions. There are con no, there are no contradictions. The context explains each of them. When he says that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Unreasonable and wicked men. Children of the devil, they don't have faith. They don't have this God kind of faith. And then the context of Romans 12, 3. To every man that is among you, the people he's writing to. So every believer has faith. Now I'm not talking about a natural human faith. Everybody has natural human faith. Saved or unsaved. You're sitting on a chair. Took some faith to believe that that chair will hold your weight. That's why you sat on it. You were coming you know, uh, driving a car or in a car being driven. And then another car was coming. You had enough faith to know you ought to stop. You know, that's some faith, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So you see, we all have natural human faith. But when it comes to this God kind of faith that we're talking about, every believer has it. Every believer has it. Every believer has it. Every believer has it. Every believer has faith. Romans 12, 3 is our first witness, right? I'll give another one. Another witness that shows that. Remember, the Bible says it's a matter of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. Now, Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 13, 1. 
Now, Paul was going to write to the Corinthian church the same thing he had told them before. He said, it's not grievous. So Paul, say, he's saying the same thing. He called it another witness. In the matter of two or three witnesses. I'm writing the same thing to you. So, even though it's Paul that also wrote Ephesians 2.8, we can count it as another witness. As all I, I said that just to say that. <laughs> Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Amen. By grace are ye saved through faith. It's just like, let's say, as we are right now in this room, somebody tells me that in their life, they've never passed through a door. Never passed through a door. And they're in this room. A few things I, uh, that will cross my mind is, uh, any window, uh, any windows opened, if I see the, all the windows were locked, and I hear they've been locked since. Then the next thing I'll ask is, uh, were there some doctors here that delivered someone 25 years ago? And as that person lived here all their life, and they brought food and brought everything to them here. If that's not the case, for you to be in this room, you have to pass through either of those doors. Right? So it takes faith to get saved. Saved people have faith. In actual fact, the new birth is the biggest miracle that there is. If you believe God for the new birth, you can't believe God for something bigger. And the same faith that got you saved will get you anything else. The same faith that got you saved will get you healed. The same faith that got you saved will get you a good job. The same faith that got you saved will get you financial provision. The same faith that got you saved will get you to live a victorious life over the flesh, the world, and the devil. Amen. So, every believer has faith. Remember, that's our point. And then we saw Romans 12, 3. God has dealt to every man among us, believers, the measure of faith. And then Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So, when he said it's the gift of God, what is the gift of God? He said, and that not of yourselves. Now, if he said, and that not of yourselves, is he talking about the grace I don't think so. There's no grace that is of ourselves. But he's saying, this thing I'm talking about, there's a kind that is of yourself. But the one that I'm talking about is the one that is not of yourself. Then he says, the gift of God. The Greek word for gift, there happens to be the word doron. Now, doron was never used for grace. It was doria. Now, I know this is not a Greek class, you know, but just information, you know. To corroborate the fact, maybe I'm trying to kill a mosquito with a bazooka. <laughs> Bless my heart. Amen. So, it's not of ourselves. It's not a natural human faith. It's God's gift. Now, is that talking about the gift of special faith? No, it's not. Because the word for special faith is the word charisma. You know, I know this is not a good class, eh? But sometimes it's good to know some of these details yes, sir. when talking about special faith. So, it wasn't talking about the gift of special faith. It was actually talking about that faith through which we are saved that is God's gift. Now, how did God give us this faith to get saved by? See, oh, you're still recording. I actually moved because it was like, thank God. <laughs> yeah, it's good to always stay on the positive side of life, right? Because yeah. you're like, oh, thinking like this. Yeah, thank God they have. So I can move around. 
so, yeah. Okay, good. So it says, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. And we're saying that the faith is the gift of God that he's referring to. Now, how did God give the sinner faith to be saved? Romans 10, 17 says, so then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, the sinner heard the gospel preached to him. When he heard the gospel preached, when he heard the gospel preached, faith came to his heart, right? Yeah. Romans 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 14 says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Then 17 now says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. So that's how God gave the sinner faith to be saved. He heard the gospel. That message showed him his state. His sinner in need of a savior. Showed him God's provision. The Lord Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Then he acted on that message by an act of his will. He acted. Yeah, I know. So that the recording can continue. And they're dubbing. Great. He acted on that message. By acting on that message that he heard, his spirit got recreated. Eternal life God imparted his spirit. He became God's child. So he got saved. Isn't it? So God gave faith to the sinner through the gospel. He acted on it and he became God's child. As a child of God, you have his DNA. God is a faith God. And so you're a faith child of the faith God. Amen. You see that? So that's three witnesses already. That's three witnesses already. Romans 12, 3 is the first. Ephesians 2, 8, the second. Romans 10, 17, the third. Another witness, 2 Corinthians 4, 13. 2 Corinthians 4.13, and that's the clincher. It says, we having the same spirit of faith. Now, who was Paul writing to? The Corinthian church. If you're looking for carnality and you don't know how to define it, just go to the Corinthian church. They were carnality on two legs. In the canal, canal, canal. They were canal guys. Yet Paul is telling this canal bunch, we having the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believed, therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Notice it says, we having the same spirit of faith. He didn't say we are trying to get it. He didn't say we are praying for it. He didn't say we are hoping God will paraventure think about the possibility of should in case he might be thinking about uh, probably giving it to us if we just do well enough. No. We haven't, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't. Having what? The same spirit of faith. Now, you know, there's some statements people make, right? In Christendom. And sometimes we too just repeat things because people say it. You know, there's this thing people say that the spirit of faith is taught, but the spirit of faith is caught. And that the spirit of faith is caught by associating with people that have it. You know, we, we hear it said, we hear it said, we hear it so much. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. I just don't agree with it. I just, I just don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. Amen. I don't agree with it. If the Corinthian bunch had it, believe me, you have it. <laughs> who, are they, who are they associating with? <laughs> they were associating with, with judges in court, suing each other. They were associating with prostitutes. You know, people were sleeping around. Yes. That's what those guys were doing. Yeah, Paul said they had it. Are you listening to me? Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you should, folks should live wrong. That's not what I'm saying. 
But I'm just saying that we have the spirit of faith. How did we get it? We got it at our new birth. Now, is there something about association and the spirit of faith? Can association help when it comes to the spirit of faith? It can. It's just like this. Let's say there's an eaglet. And the eaglet, all its life, hmm, as the eaglet was born, it was among chickens. You know, chicks was among them. And I may have thought it was one of them. And it may just be, those guys are eating corn all over the place. And then it may just be doing it because after all, that's what these guys are doing. But the day that eaglet sees an eagle, and he now sees that eagle, and that eagle comes around it, or it comes around that eagle, he will then look and say, this guy is like me. I'm not quite like those other ones. I, I look more like this guy. We look alike, oh. Look at how he looks. Look at the beak. Look at the way it is. And then, look at the way that thing just glided in the air. Uh-uh. If you can do it, how far? May I try? You know? And then it will now discover that that's what it also is. So yes, there's something about associating with people of faith, right? That may stir you up to walk in what you have. But it wasn't like they gave you. You had it. Do you get that? Yeah, we need to associate with people of faith. It's mighty important. But listen, if you're born again, you have faith. You have faith. Every believer has faith. Every believer. Every believer. So that's four witnesses. Well, let's do a little more. All these four witnesses, all these four scriptures, it was Paul. Let's look at some other writers and see what they said about it. In Second Peter chapter 1, Simon Peter, you know, 2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 1, apostle of Lord Jesus Christ. He said, to them that have obtained like precious faith, through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice he said, to them that have obtained like precious faith. So Peter was writing that epistle to other Christians. And he said, they have obtained, we have obtained like precious faith. How? Through the righteousness of God. And our Savior, Jesus Christ. Doesn't that remind you of Romans 10.10? 10? For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The moment you believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, confessed with your mouth that is your Lord, that instance, you obtained like precious faith. Amen. So we have obtained like precious faith. We have obtained like precious faith. We have obtained like precious faith. So Paul said it. Peter too is saying it. Okay, do we have other witnesses, other writers, other than any of those two who refer to this? We do. Remember in Jude, has only one chapter, the third verse. The Bible says we are to contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Yes, that speaks of a body of truth that was delivered to the saints, right? But you see, the saints also have the ability to act on it. The saints have the ability to believe it, to receive it, to accept it. Amen. So, faith has been delivered to the saints. Are you listening to me? Every believer has faith. You know, sometimes I hear Christians say, you know what my problem is? Faith is my problem. No, that's not true. Faith cannot be your problem. If faith is really your problem, then you need to go and get born again. Yeah. Yes, your faith may need some fixing. Paul told the Thessalonian church, he said he wanted to supply that which was lacking in their faith. 
I looked that up. It talked about what was deficient. That's how the Greek puts it. What was deficient in their faith. Sometimes things can be deficient with a believer's faith. And it may need some fixing, right? It may need some fixing. What fixes it? God's word. But you see, he has faith. He has faith. You may have a knowledge problem, but not a faith problem. The measure of your faith is actually the measure of your knowledge of your rights and privileges in Christ. So you don't have a believing problem. You may have a knowing problem, knowing what to believe. But if you're a believer, you're a believer. So that's how many witnesses I've given. That's six witnesses. Well, let me give it a last one. You know, they say seven is the number of perfection. You know, not that, like there's any big deal to that. I could have made it eight. I could have made it 12. I could have stopped at six, you know, before somebody will build a doctrine around that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in second Corinthians chapter six, remember from verse 14, the Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked, 14 to 16, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion had light with darkness? What concord had Christ with Belial? What part had he that believed with an infidel? What agreement had the temple of God with idols? 16 says, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them. I will be their God, they shall be my people. Yeah. Now, in that place, we notice that the Christian is called righteousness, right? The unbeliever is called unrighteousness. The Christian is called light. The unbeliever is called darkness. The Christian is called Christ. Now, all of us together, we're the body of Christ. Your head doesn't bear one name and your body another, isn't it? Yeah, so all of us, the entire body of Christ, we are Christ. But also, individually, we are Christ too. You know, just like the Bible says in Ephesians 2, that he made of twain one new man, so make him peace. So all of us, we are one new man in Christ. But each of us is also a new man. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he, the individual person, is a new creature. So all of us, we are one new man. Each of us is a new man. All of us, we are Christ. But each of us is Christ. Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the church. Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, so what persecutest thou me? Are you listening? So, Christ, the believer is called Christ. The unbeliever is called Belial. The believer is called the temple of God. The unbeliever is called idols, temple of idols. Now you notice, the believer is also called he that believeth. He that believeth. You know something? The word that Christians are called more than any other word in the epistles is believer. You're a believer. You're a believer. That's who you are. You're a believer. You're a believer. You're a believer. Why are you a believer? Because you're a believer. You are a believing one. You are a believer. You are a believer. You are a believer. You are a believer. Can we say this together? I am a believer. I have faith. I have mountain moving faith. I have the God kind of faith. I have the kind of faith that spoke the world into being. I have the kind of faith that spoke the universe into existence. Amen. You see, when Mark 9.23 says, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. He's talking to you. 
Sometimes, while I've been faced with impossible situations, I'll go look myself up in the mirror and I'll say, I am a believer. I am a believer. All things are possible to me. You see, impossible is an opinion. It's an opinion. And it's not God's opinion. That's one word that is not in God's dictionary. It does not exist. All things are possible to the believing one. All things are possible to the believing one. All things are possible to the believing one. And who's that believing one? You. Amen. So every believer has faith. Remember, that's my first point. I said there are four realities that I believe the Lord will have me to emphasize from Mark 11, 23 and 24. And the first of them is this, that every believer has faith. Every believer has faith. While I'm still on this first point, you know, sometimes, you know, there'll be a first point. And that first point may have another subsection and another subsection. You know, there'll be a theorem. Then there'll be a corollary. You know. <laughs> Bless my heart. You know. But still, while we're still on this first point, talking about the fact that every believer has faith. You see, that faith that every believer has, it can grow. It can grow. Your faith can grow. I sometimes see people who say, no, there's no such thing as faith growing. Is that you have faith or you don't have faith? I said, well, Paul didn't know that. Jesus didn't know it either. Amen. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said something. He said, we're bound. I was talking to the saints at Thessalonica. And you see, I'm using a lot of the epistles, right? Because they are the letters written to the church. Amen. Yeah, the whole Bible is written for me, but the epistles are the letters written to me. The Bible says God has made us able ministers of the New Testament. Many times I meet many able ministers of the Old Testament. And I wonder that they have their job description somehow, you know, mistaken. We should read the whole Bible, right? The things that were written aforetime, talking about the Old Testament, written for our learning. So we should learn from the Old Testament. However, we should live in the New Testament. Yes, Don't try to live in the old. Yes, we learn from the old. You see, God wasn't a mean God in the Old Testament. Then the New Testament came and he became good. No, it's the same God. He hasn't changed. He doesn't change. You know? But the terms by which God relates with man, it, that, those terms have changed. Are you listening? The law was the best revelation of himself God could give to spiritually dead men. But then when God, this same God now showed up, they wanted to stone him. Yeah. Even though they knew the law, but the person that the law was about, the prophets were about, showed up and they did not recognize him. So which showed that something was defective. Something was defective. We know that the Bible is progressive revelation. You don't get full light, full truth until you come over into the New Testament, especially in the epistles. You know, reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you won't even know why Jesus died. You think you would? I tell you, you won't. The people that were there in Acts 1, they said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Ha! We're talking about, go and preach the gospel. You're talking about how you can remove the, uh, the, the, the reign of Rome over Israel. You see, they miss it a thousand miles. Are you listening to me? That's why we ought to live in the epistles. So we learn from the old. We live in the new. 
The principles in the Old Testament are applicable today. The practices in the Old Testament, however, are not. You don't have to slaughter an animal. The examples in the Old Testament are applicable today. Things that happen to Israel, they happen to them as examples. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. And they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So yes, we'll learn from the old, but please, we'll live in the new. And um, I always like to see any truth in the light of redemption. In the light of the finished work of redemption. Because you see, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ changed everything. Everything changed. Everything changed. It's like when Albert Einstein came and said, E is equal to MC squared. Bless my heart, eh? <laughs> I'm not always like this. Forgive me. You know. But what I'm saying is, certain things just change everything. Amen. So, what I was saying is this. Every believer has faith. Now, that faith can grow. We're still on that first point. That faith that every believer has, it can grow. I wouldn't make a statement like that if I couldn't prove it. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We're bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, as it is meet. Because your faith groweth exceedingly. And the charity, that's a Greek word for agape, the love of every one of you aboundeth. So notice he said their faith was growing. It wasn't just growing, it was growing exceedingly. Exceedingly, perhaps exponentially. It was growing exceedingly. And he was talking to Christians. Born again, spirit-filled people. And he said their faith was growing. So faith can grow. Someone told me one time, he said, no, it's not faith that grows. It's you that grows in faith. I said, my guy, you don't come again. Don't try to make the Bible say what you want it to say. Let the Bible speak for itself. Don't put something in there that's not there. He says your faith grows exceedingly. God says what he means. He means what he says. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15, Paul was talking to the church at Corinth. And he said this, that when your faith is increased, so he talked about faith increasing. So faith can increase. When your faith is increased. Now, if that was in the gospel, someone could say, eh, it's because they were not born again. You know, so born again people may need their faith to increase. No, that's in the epistles. And let's say it was James that said it now. Someone will have come and said, you know that guy, he was just talking law. You know, those things are foolish remarks anyway. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. All of it. Are you listening? But I'm glad that it was Paul that said both. Amen. Yeah, when your faith is increased, so faith can increase. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 7. Paul said, as you abound, he was talking to the saints at Corinth, and he wanted them to abound in the grace of giving. He said, as you abound in all diligence, in, you know, in your love, in faith, see that you abound in this grace also. One of the things he said they were abounding in was faith. I looked up that word, abound, what it means, the Greek word, and it actually speaks of to increase, to grow. So my point is this, faith can grow. Your faith can grow, faith can grow, faith can grow, faith can grow. Remember Jesus in the, in the Gospels, he referred to weak faith. O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Matthew 14, 22 to 33. 
Matthew 6, 25 to 34. In Matthew 6, 30, talked about, you know, uh, all thou weak faith, worry, anxiety. Things that Jesus referred to as expressions of weak faith. Worry, fear, doubt. You know, that was weak faith. So Jesus talked about weak faith. Jesus also talked about strong faith, uh, 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 great faith, great faith. I refer to the two people Jesus said had great faith, right? So faith can be small, little faith. Oh, thou of little faith, right, is what he said. Then he said, great faith. In Romans 4, 19, he says, Abraham, be not weak in faith. So a person can be weak in faith. Verse 20 says, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So a person can be strong in faith. So faith can be little, faith can be great. Faith can be weak, faith can be strong. Then in 1 Timothy 1.5, as well as 2 Timothy 1.5, Bible talked about unfeigned faith. Unfeigned. When you say something is feigned, it's pretentious. You know, the way we speak Christianese. Ah, my brother, how far? All is well. Uh, the good Lord, ah, bless you, bless you. You know, uh, and then when they get to parking lot, oh boy, how far? Things tight. Things no, things no deal. Hey, hey, I day for trouble. And then the same person will say, why we're in church? Ah, the good Lord, it is well. How is everything? God is on the throne. You know, all that scope sometimes. Yeah. Amen. So as faith can be feigned, pretentious, there can be authentic faith, genuine faith. Amen. Then in James 2, 22, Bible was talking about Abraham, and he said that through his works, through his actions, his faith was perfected. So there can be faith that is perfected, that is brought to completion. That's a faith that acts. And there can be faith that is not perfected. Actually, there can be dead faith. Faith without corresponding action is dead. I also like to say that action without corresponding faith is double dead. Without corresponding faith is double dead. Can there be faith without action? Yes, you can believe something in your heart, but you've not acted on it. But you can also act, but not really because you believe. Because somebody else acted. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. By faith, children of Israel, they passed through the Red Sea as of a dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do. Were drowned. They saw some people, ah, see, parted. They were going, we too will go, go. And you know how the story ended. Yeah, they were double dead. In that, they couldn't bury them. <laughs> do you get my point? So, James 2.5 also says, as God not chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. So, a person can be rich in faith. Amen. A person can be rich in faith. And then, we also notice in 1 John 5, 4, I referred to it earlier too, where the Bible says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So, there can be overcoming faith. My point is this, several adjectives were used to qualify faith. And if it can be qualified, what we are saying is that it's measurable. Yes. Paul talked to the Thessalonian church, and he said he wanted to supply that which was lacking in their faith. So, something can be lacking. Faith can be defective. Person's faith could be at a place where they need something to be supplied to fix the defect. 
Amen. So faith is measurable. Acts 6 verse 5 as well as verse 8. The Bible speaks about one character by the name Stephen. And the Bible says he was full of faith. If you can be full of faith, I guess a person can be half full of faith. Or three quarters full of faith. Or one quarter full of faith. Or void of faith entirely. Amen. You know, there was one time Jesus said to his disciples, how is it that you have no faith? In that instance, they exhibited no faith. So it's also possible. From no faith to full faith, it's measurable. Faith is measurable. Faith can grow. The question is now, how do I get my faith to grow? How do I get my faith to increase? Remember, we're still on our first point, that every believer has faith. And we're talking about this faith that it can grow. The faith that every believer has. But how do I get it to grow? You know, the disciples asked Jesus that question in Luke 17, 5. Now, Jesus had told them, you know, Peter went to meet him and said, how often, if my brother sings against me, shall I forgive him? Seven times. If you knew the answer, why did you ask the question? He asked the question and he attempted to give the answer. Jesus said, no. By the time you compare what he said in Luke 17 with what he said in Matthew 18, he actually was saying 70 times, seven times in one day. Yeah. As soon as he said that, this guy was like, ha, Lord, increase our faith. You, you know, sometimes it takes faith to forgive. <laughs> yeah. So he said, Lord, increase our faith. So Jesus now responds to them in verse 6 of Luke 17. He said, look, guys, it's not a matter of me increasing your faith. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this sycamine tree or mulberry tree, be thou plucked up and cast into the sea and it will obey you. Now, some people take that scripture and say, look, all this is about great faith. It's not necessary. All you need is just little faith. Faith like a grain of mustard seed. Who has heard that before? That after all, you just said Luke 17, 6, Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, nothing will be, will be impossible to you. Okay. You know, I think a lot. I tell you that. Hmm? Something Smith Eagleswood used to say was this. When he will go to preach, he'll say, I'm here to tell you what I know. I'm not here to tell you what I think. I'm here to tell you what I know and let you do your own thinking. I decided long ago that nobody was going to do my thinking for me. I was going to do it myself. And then eh, I want to get the answers to the questions I have. And I want to be satisfied. I want to understand it. You know, there's the one of everybody is forming something and you're forming with them. But you know, you, the thing no well, oh. you know, something no enter. The thing no set well. Something is still sitting like this. And the thing is still working like this. Uh, this thing, mm -mm. I still don't understand it well. I want to understand it. So uh, that really was concerning for me because I wondered, when the Bible talks about faith growing, how come Jesus said, and Paul commented, commended the, and commented on the fact that the saints at Thessalonica, their faith was growing. How come the Bible seems to give this picture that little faith will do everything? Now, if that's the case, how come when Peter was walking on the water in Matthew 14, and he had his eyes on Jesus, suddenly he looked at the wind boisterous. Doubt crept in. And he started sinking. And Jesus said, O thou of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? 
Little faith did not get the answer. Little faith never got the answer. Look at Mark 4. 35 to 41. They were on the ship. You know? Matthew records the same incident. And Matthew refers to it and said, O thou of little faith, why are you so fearful? He had told them, let us pass over to the other side. A storm arose. When the storm arose, they said, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now Jesus had taught them he shall have whatever he saith. Then Jesus went off and slept. Then a storm arose. They should have just said, he said we should pass over to the other side. Are we at the other side? Why not? He's sleeping, my guy. Will I say, me too, I go rest more. He said, let us pass over to the other side. We're not yet at the other side. But apparently, they were fearful. I noticed every time there was a little faith, there weren't much results. So, to say that faith like a grain of mustard seed is saying little faith, and that little faith will get you everything, it contradicts everything Jesus said about that. So, Jesus wasn't saying, when he said if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, he wasn't saying if you have little faith, you'll get everything done. He wasn't. So, I wanted to know what exactly then was he saying? Now, if you look in Matthew 13, you discover uh, verses 13 and 31. Jesus said something about a, a mustard seed. Now, I've seen mustard seeds before. They're like powder. They're tiny. He said, it may be the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it becomes a mighty tree that the birds of the air come to lodge there. Jesus wasn't saying if you have small faith. Jesus was saying, if you have faith like a seed. Faith works like a seed. Faith works like a seed. And the way you plant that seed is by saying. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you shall say. So that's what Jesus was talking about. Another thing about the mustard seed is this. It can be hybrided. It can be hybrided. It can be hybrided. Are you listening to me? So he wasn't talking about if you have little faith, you get everything done. That's not what he was talking about. He was saying, look, wherever you are at in your faith, you plant it. You keep using it. Amen. Walk it. It will grow. So how do you increase your faith? Two things. Number one, by feeding it on the word of God. And number two, by exercising it. Putting it into practice. Feeding your faith on the word and exercising your faith by putting it into practice. See, God's word is the food of faith. God's word is the food of faith. Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What bread or physical food is to the body is what God's word is to our faith. The word of God is faith food. The word of God is faith food. It's God's word that will build your persuasion. It's God's word that will build your assurance. And you know something? It's possible to have faith for healing. And you're very healthy. But you're broke. Because your faith for finances is defective. You know, it's possible to have faith for finances. And you're hopping from job to job. You know? And your faith for healing is weak. 
Do you know it's possible to have faith for healing, faith for finances, but your faith for victorious Christian living is not where it should be. And at the slightest temptation, you fall, yakata, like a pack of cards. But yet, you can be strong in faith for healing. And you stand against sickness. But you can't keep your zipper up. Yeah. Of course, it's going to affect your health eventually. If you keep living wrong. It's possible. I'm telling you. It's possible to have faith for finances. But you don't have faith for victorious living. And you see some of these big guys. They have big, they live a big life. They are living well. And it's because they trusted God. But they are not exactly living right. Of course, if we refuse to judge ourselves, God is going to judge us eventually. Be not deceived, God is no mock. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. He that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap life everlasting. And that was written by Paul, the apostle of grace. And it was written to Christians in Galatians 6. Just to emphasize that. Amen. So, God wants us to have faith that is strong in every area. Do you get my point? Yeah. Faith that is strong. Any area you feed your faith is going to be strong in that area. Now, I believe something. There's a way the devil can keep you on a fire brigade life where he just keeps making you run. You know, he'll bring another problem again. So you're trying to feed your faith in that area. And then by the time you're almost done, he'll bring another one again. Now, I'll also say this about faith. Do you know it's possible to get selfish about faith? Where it's all about what I can get, what I can get, what I can get, what I can get. Okay, I have a house. I want a bigger house. I have a bigger house. I want a mansion. I have a mansion. I want a, a, a street. I have a street. I want an estate. I have an estate. I want a city. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things if the motive is right. Are you listening? So there's a place of you are faced with a challenge and you feed your faith in the area where it is challenged. That's okay. However, I'll say this. Hmm? There's a place of just feeding our faith on the word of God. The entire counsel of God's word. So that we'll be well-grounded, well-rounded Christians. Amen. God wants, you know, Paul said something to the church at, the leaders of the church at Ephesus. He said, I have not shown, Acts 20, 27, to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Matthew 4, 4, I quoted it earlier. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thorough, complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So the man of God is not who every child of God is a man of God. And every woman of God is a man of God in that sense. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, man there is, uh, is gender neutral. Are you listening? Yeah. So you see, it takes all scripture. So we must feed our faith on the entire counsel of God's word so that we'll just live a balanced, solid life. Amen. But also, while you are feeding in a general sense, there are also times you are challenged in an area. So also, go the extra mile and feed specifically 
in the area you are challenged. When Kenneth E. Higgin, a blessed memory, was on the deathbed, he said there was no other subject he studied other than the subject of faith. Somebody asked him one time, do you ever study about the Antichrist? He said, no, sir, I don't have time. Do you ever study about this? He said, no, sir, I don't have time. He said, look, if I don't get healed, eh, I will have gone long before any Antichrist. He was on a deathbed. Do you get my point? Let me get healed first. Like I can learn all I need to learn about the Antichrist. You know? So, let's feed our faith in a general sense. But also, if there's an area where you are challenged, now stay there. Stay there. Stay there. And look, it's not a sin to be challenged. It's not a sin to face adverse circumstances. It doesn't mean anything is wrong with you. Somebody was trying to say, look, if your faith was okay, you won't have any of these problems. And I said, then Paul's faith wasn't okay. He had a lot of problems. If the way you determine whether you're in the will of God is by whether or not you have challenges, Paul was never in the will of God. From the day he got saved, problems started. In fact, it looked like his life was good before he got saved. I heard a statement in the late 90s made by a minister. I've never been able to forget it. He said, if you and the devil never have a head-on collision, you are going in the same direction. You see, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Psalm 34 verse 19 says, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Then, I'll also say this. You see, eh? the fact that some people have challenges along a certain line, there could be different reasons. Listen, if your father was a billionaire, eh? you may not need to struggle to have faith for finances. Yes, because you are bolanly. You, you meet time for house. Uh-huh. You may be a millionaire at birth. The day they gave back to you, you became a millionaire. And then you are now seeing somebody else. And then with all the connections your father has, you, you now meet somebody else who's struggling, you know, for some bills. You now say, you don't have faith. Is it you that has? I beg my guy. Yeah. There are people, listen, that's why we must be merciful. You know, you can use the message of faith to fry people's hide. You can teach righteousness and use it to condemn people. And that's not what God intends. Are you listening? Do you know there are some people who, just by their natural makeup, are fairly healthy? You know, there's some diseases that are hereditary. Yeah, and somebody else was born to a family where the mother had this, the father had this, the grandmother had this, the maternal grandmother had this, paternal grandmother had this, maternal grandfather had this, paternal grandfather had this. So, for being born at all, they just inherited some problems. And then somebody else who's not faced with that will now say, no, your faith is weak. Not necessarily. Your faith may not even be as developed as that person's faith. It's just that they are challenged there. Are you listening to me? But listen, no matter the test, no matter the trial, no matter the challenge, faith is the equalizer. It puts all of us on the same level. Listen, sometimes advantages in life can be a disadvantage. The very advantage that you have in life can be your undoing. You are born with a silver spoon. That may be why you are lazy. That may be why you don't know how to, you, you are laid back. 
Yeah, you have a natural constitution that's good. That may be why you never learned healing and health. And then one day, one challenge comes and it takes you out. So your seeming advantage can be your undoing. And let me tell you something. Your seeming disadvantage in life can be your greatest advantage. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. I was talking with a young man. Now, I know there are many young people here. I was talking with a young man. He told me, he said, when he was 16, this is not conjecture. I know the person. I have his number. Hmm? He said, when he was 16, he went with his wife, uh, his father. They traveled somewhere. Then his father asked him, now they're adults here, right? Whether he had ever slept with a girl. He looked. He said, I'm a Christian. I don't live like that. He said, and his father started crying. Something wrong with my son. You mean at a whole 16? Whole 16. He started crying. His father organized prostitutes to come and sleep with him. Yeah. Real life story. Yeah. He said he would meet his father. Sometimes there's this woman, as one is coming, another is going. You know? He lived like that. And the man had a wild libido to back it up. Do you understand? And then there's another guy I know. He was married. He got married in his 40s. Hmm? So he married late. He married as a virgin, which is how everybody should, right? But then, at that age, he was talking about how he could get some aphrodisiac to sleep with his wife. Do you see my point? So, he will be chewing the other guy out. You're living anyhow. Nonsense. Uh, you, you had no fire inside you. Your testosterone level is low. So, you can't say you are living right. And you can't say, that's why God is the only one that can judge. That's why we must be merciful to people. Yeah, is it an excuse for doing wrong? You say, no, it's my father, it's my gene. No, it's, my, it's the way I was brought up. Look, regardless of how you were brought up, regardless of your genetic constitution, faith is the equalizer. If you believe God, you can live right. If you believe God, he can fix anything. Are you listening to me? But you see, that's why the Bible says comparing themselves with themselves are not wise. Bottom line, let's feed our faith on God's word. The entire counsel of God's word. And then if there's an area where you are challenged, feed extra in that area. Feed extra in that area. Find scriptures in that area. I used to have a lot of problems with sickness. A lot. As in a lot. All the scriptures on healing were marked in my Bible. I guess I could quote almost the whole Bible on the story of healing. Just quoting. Maybe even in my sleep. Because I fed on it like that. Every good book on faith and healing I got, I wore them out. Are you listening to me? Yeah. If there's an area where you're challenged, you're challenged in the area of finances. Find out what God's word says about it. Then get good Christian literature in that subject. Your marriage is a mess. What does God's word say about marriage? Whatever area you are challenged, get God's word. Find scriptures that cover that case. See, faith begins where the will of God is known. I met people many times. They'll say, I'm believing God for this. I'll say, great. Then I'll ask them, what scripture are you standing on? And then they tell me, not any in particular. And then I tell them, that's exactly what you're going to get. Not anything in particular. See, God is not obligated to bring to pass what you don't have his word for. You need to have God's word for it. You need to know. 
I met, I meet single people all the time. They say they are believing God for a spouse. What scripture? Yeah, some of them say, hey, there's one verse like that. He says something like, none shall want their mate. I tell them, there's one husband like that. He says something like, I don't even know this kind of person this girl is. Do you get my point? Find scripture that covers your case. Feed your faith regularly on the word of God. And I'll tell you something. It's not what you know that counts. It's what you do with it. Great faith doesn't just come by feeding on the word. No matter how much good food I eat, if I don't get exercise, my faith will be weak. So we need to exercise our faith. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. There are certain things I don't buy as a habit. I never buy them. I use my faith for them. You know why? There's no time in my life that I don't have a faith project. No time. Every single time, there's something I'm using my faith on. As soon as I get it sorted, then I pick another one. I get it sorted. Remember, after you just said, you know, if you have faith like great mustard, you say to the sycamine tree, he doesn't say which of you having a servant, you send him on an errand. He does it, you say, sit down. He said, no. When he finishes that, you say, then do this one. Finish that one, then do this one. Then finish that one, then do this one. Listen, load your faith. Keep it busy. Keep it busy. Keep using it. Keep using it. Keep using it. Keep exercising it. And then I'll say this. Faith grows. Faith grows. See, many times, many times, people try to climb the ladder from the top wrong. I've ever tried that before. You want to climb a staircase. You want to start from the fifth. You're going to fall and hit your head on the floor. You start from the first step. Then you take the next step. Faith grows. In Matthew 9, 29, Jesus said something to those two blind men. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. It will always be to you according to your faith. Start using your faith on the level that you are at. I've learned something. Don't try to act beyond your faith. Also, don't act beneath your faith. Let your action correspond with your believing. The real measure of your believing is your heart. Is your heart. Is your spirit. If you're not sure where your faith is at, start from something small. When I first started believing God for money, took all the faith I had to believe for 130 naira. I remember it well. It was January 1989. I can't forget. 10 naira used to be red. 13 10 naira notes. I got it within 24 hours. I was overjoyed. That was the first time I used my faith for finances. But you see, I continue to feed it and to use it. To feed it and to use it. To feed it and to use it. Keep feeding your faith and exercising it. That's what's going to make it grow. No matter the level that you're at, eh? don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. You see, I could not, I just could not walk in divine healing. I'm telling you. I tried. Mm -mm. Until I take tablet. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't quit. I didn't quit. I didn't quit. Then I'll tell you something about me. Hmm? I, <laughs> I always saw myself a victor. When I read about Smith Wigglesworth and what he did with his faith, 
Immediately in my mind, I said, yeah, if he can do it, I can do it. God is his father like he's my father. I read about E.W. Kenyon. I said, yeah, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, some people say like, ah, I want a mini here. I want a lot more long. Ah, those are the men of God. We, we are still the infants of God, though. May we stay where we did. Uh, let's cut our coat according to our size. You know, that kind of thinking is defeatist. When I, I see Kenneth E. Hagin, he walked in health without a headache for 69 years, actually 70 years. I said, yeah, if you can, I can. But I was struggling with malaria. Struggling, 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 struggling. But what I didn't do, I didn't quit. So I just kept feeding my faith and using it. Feeding my faith and using it. I will go as far out as I can. And then, you see, malaria eh, used to make me shiver like a leaf. Then Queen, my mom told me as a little child, I used to chew chloroquine. Days of Niva Queen, chloroquine, camoquine. You know, some people don't know that day. Yeah. You know, that was a day. Yeah. But you see, I kept at it. I haven't had a headache now for over 30 years. I haven't had malaria now for over 30 years. I haven't needed medical help now for over 30 years. What made the difference? I kept feeding my faith and using it. It took a while. Do you understand? Don't condemn yourself where you are at. There may be some areas where you are struggling in your faith now. Don't condemn yourself. Everybody has been there. You see, when, when God told Sarah, she will have child, she, she laughed. And then she lied about it. Uh, mother in Zion. She lied about it. She laughed. She laughed in unbelief. Yeah. Abraham too. Abraham said, ah, God, yeah, how far? Ishmael is also there now. Bless me through Ishmael. Uh-uh. God said, listen, listen to which are the yarn. As they tell you, say, your wife go give birth. So Abraham, if you read what God said, how uh, the scriptures record his account in Genesis and read Romans 4, Hebrews 6. It looks, Galatians 3, it looks like it's two different people. Yes. Yes. It started from a place of wavering. But yet he just wouldn't quit. Are you getting my point? Am I making excuses for wavering? I'm not. But I'm saying, start where you are at. Keep at it. Keep feeding your faith and using it. And what's going to happen? It will grow. You'll be amazed the things you'll be able to believe God for. You will be amazed. You'll be amazed. In my life. Now, there's certain things. We're careful the way we share testimonies. Because there's a way you can share a testimony and you're bragging about yourself. And that will be wrong. Sometimes you're trying to talk about, look what my faith did. Look what my faith did. The faith, is it not God that gave you? Eh. So, I'm careful the way... I want to always say it in a way that we point to God and it's about him. But you see, I've seen him come through in the most difficult of circumstances. Listen to me. Great faith comes out of great tests. Great victories come out of great battles. You will never hear of a general in the real sense of the word, but one who went to the battlefront in some form. That's a fact. Decide this. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. As long as you keep standing, keep feeding your faith and exercising it. Keep feeding your faith and exercising it. It's a matter of time. And it won't take an eternity. Amen. It won't take an eternity. 
So we're still on the first point, right? This first point, it has many branches. So the first thing we said on that first point that every believer has faith. Then we said that that faith can grow. And what causes it to grow is you feeding it and exercising it. Now, as I round off this first point, the other three things are not that branchy. Hmm? But as I round off this first point, I'll say this. You see, your faith, you remember, every believer has faith, what we're talking about. Your faith will always work for you in your own life. Your faith will always work for you in your own life. And sometimes, in divine wisdom, you can make it work for others. Your faith will not always work for somebody else. It will always work for you. Your faith will always work for you. But it will not always work for somebody else. The principle of faith is this. According to your faith, be it unto you. You can't always override other per- somebody else's faith. You can't. You can't. Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by his faith. Are you listening to me? You say, when can I make my faith work for other people? If the person is a bona fide... You see, this truth I'm saying right here hmm, will set many people free. Will set many people free. It's one of the greatest questions people have about faith. Because they will talk about this brother so-and-so, when he was sick, we believed God. We prayed. He died. What happened? Haven't you seen it? Yeah, we all see it. Why did this person die? Why didn't that person get healed? Why did this not happen? Listen, according to your faith, be it unto you. Your faith will always work for you in your own life. Sometimes, in divine wisdom, you can make it work for others. When are those times your faith will work for others? If the person is a bona fide baby Christian, you can make your faith work for him. Remember, Jesus, uh, Paul, in... um, Romans 15, he said, bear ye one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. He said, let them that are strong bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So you can carry a bona fide baby Christian on your faith. Who's a bona fide baby Christian? There are some baby Christians who are not bona fide. Who's a bona fide baby Christian? Somebody who just got born again. Some people have been born again for a long time. They've had time, they've had opportunity to grow, but they just never applied themselves. Your faith will not work for them. Your faith will not work for them. A time is going to come when God will tell you, put that big young one down and let him walk. A bona fide baby Christian. When your children are young and under you, you know, Jairus could use his faith for his daughter, right? The Sophronician woman could use her faith for her daughter. The centurion could use his faith for his servant. The nobleman could use his faith for his son. When your children are young and under you, you can use your faith for them. Are you listening? Yeah. But when they become a man of their own or a woman of their own, a time will come, your faith will not work for them. Pastor Hagin grew up in a house where faith was a lifestyle. They did not have a first aid box in their house. The man said, Kenneth Hagin, that all he spent medically on his children was $37.50. The doctor that delivered his first child charged $25. The one that delivered the second child gave preachers 50% discount, $12.50, and that was all. Other than the day they were born, they, they walked in health. 
they walked in health. Yeah. My first daughter, she, she didn't need a tablet. She didn't. She grew up, and then she said, why are you taking that? She didn't know what it was like. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't know what it was like. Yeah, she grew up because of how I brought her up. Because I could use my faith, and I did. Are you listening? Pastor Higgins said, however, when he was 15, one time he had one problem with his hearing. Doctor said he had a fungal infection. It was incurable. He was going to lose his hearing that year. And then said there was nothing they could do about it but to be cleaning it. His daddy prayed, it got worse. His pastor prayed, it got worse. They all prayed, it didn't work. Brother Higgins said, he asked the Lord, what's happening here? I've always prayed for him, spoke the word, and he was well. But how come he's not working? The Lord told him, He's had faith taught all his life. He's seen you live it. He's seen you demonstrate it and use it for him. He knows it works. Now, he's going to have to get his healing by his own faith or else he will do without it. He used his faith and it worked. Brother Higgins' elder sister, Olita, she had cancer, 1963. He believed God. He prayed about it. Then Jesus appeared to him. I said, all right, because you asked me to. I'm going to give her five more years. And then she was healed of the cancer. Five years after she had another cancer. Totally unrelated to the first one. Then he began to pray again. Then the Lord told him, listen up. She's going to die. She's going to die. She's had five years. She's had five years. You can't use your faith for her. You are on radio in her city. She could have been listening to you. She didn't. She has access to your tapes, to your books. She didn't try to take advantage or to develop her faith. Now she's going to have to get it on her own faith or else she will do without it. She hadn't developed her faith. She did without it. She went to heaven at age 55. Where is she? Jumping up and down streets of gold. Let me tell you something. If a Christian dies, it's not defeat. Listen to me. It's not defeat. The truth is that they saw Jesus before you did. They met Paul before you did. You are the one that needs to hold on to the end. They ended well already. They're in heaven. Amen. Praise God. So, know that. Know that. Know that. You won't always be able to override the other person's will. Scott Webb, Reverend Scott Webb, talked about his dad. He was sick, he was in the hospital. He will go there to meet the man. The man will start speaking scriptures. By his stripes, I am healed. Himself took my infirmities and bear my sicknesses. We believe God. He felt like, yeah, yeah. Shortly after his daddy died, he said, what happened? Listen to this. Anytime something goes wrong, it wasn't God's fault. Anytime something goes wrong, it wasn't God's fault. See, human nature is proud. We like to say we did everything. But God didn't come through for a reason he knows best. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. If you did not receive, you did not make your connection, let's settle it. Yes, the secret things belong to the Lord. Those that are real belong to us and to our children. Some things are none of your business. Why so-and-so did not receive your healing is none of your business. If God wanted you to know, he would tell you. If he didn't tell you, leave it. And don't touch it in thought life and move on. God's word is true. God's word works. Are you listening? If anybody did not receive, it wasn't God's fault. You see, settle this. Sometimes we let some other person's experience 
defeat us. Say, ah, if so and so happened to so and so, ah, who am I? You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in him. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Don't judge God based on so and so's experience. Amen. You know, blessed are those that keep to time, right? Yeah. Amen. So don't forget that. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. See, what if I'm not able to go through the other points? It's fine. These ones I've said, they are very key. And God wants us to, to say them. Don't be in a hurry. Don't, or don't, be, don't feel under pressure, please. Oh, we have till five. Oh, great. Praise God. All right. We'll finish then. Uh, you know. You know, a preacher can put his guests under pressure. You know, a preacher can come and say, Ah, man of God, God is telling me, is it okay I obey God? <laughs> witchcraft, 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 witchcraft. It's just manipulation. <laughs> we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. Amen. So, don't forget, every believer has faith. Every believer has faith. That faith can grow by feeding it and exercising it. And remember, your faith will work for you. In your own life. Once it involves somebody else. Hmm? What that person believes. What that person says. What that person wants. Is important. Once someone else is involved. You will not always be able to override their will. Let me ask you. Caleb and Joshua. Were they men of faith? They were. Could they take that generation in the promised land? They couldn't. Their unbelief hindered them from entering. And it delayed Joshua and Caleb too. Yes. <laughs> Took them 40 years. They were 40 years late in getting there. Amen. Wow. Yes. It's good we are mindful of that. It's like marriage. Hmm? You can't believe God. Look, no matter, Jesus may have even appeared to you and told you she's your wife. Yes. If she doesn't want to marry you, she will not marry you. Yes. Then what do you do? You move on. Simple. Yeah, free will prevails. And sisters too, you may believe he's your husband. If he doesn't share your conviction, you haven't met your husband yet. Yeah, so don't... I've seen people who will be saying they are believing God. They are believing God. God spoke to me. Ha. Look, the Bible says a widow is free to remarry, right? If there was one person, one man for one woman, and that widow... Already her own husband had died. If she now goes and remarries, then she's taking somebody else's husband. But the Bible says she can remarry. So to say that is just God just peered us. One more, one more. If you miss that one, your life is finished. You have missed destiny. You have missed destiny. It can't be true. But the flip side, too, is not as though you can just marry any believer, can marry any believer. No. God knows the two people that can live together, that can work together. So, there is the Godward side, there's the manward side. There is a balance. Yes. Amen. There's a balance. You don't find him attractive. Ah, don't marry him. Eh, you say, the thing just never rises. The thing is just never at attention. Ah, don't go there. Oh. Because one day, you meet the one that the thing will not be able to not be on attention. And then you'll now be binding and losing. Binding and losing. Where simple wisdom will have saved you trouble. Abinitio. If you don't understand what I'm saying, the Bible says let them that are ignorant be ignorant still. <laughs> then it wasn't you I was talking to. <laughs> the people I was talking to, they heard me. They heard me loud and clear. 
<laughs> All right. So, second thing is this. Number two. Number two. Real faith is of the heart and not of the head. Real faith is of the heart and not of the head. Real faith is of the heart and not of the head. That's my second point. The other points, they are simple. They don't have that many branches. You know, real faith is of the heart and not of the head. Notice in Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. In actual fact, Jesus is saying, but shall believe in his heart. Romans 10, 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not to thine own understanding. You see, we practice that verse quite right, but sometimes we practice it in reverse. We trust in law with all our understanding and we lean not to our hearts. That's not the way the Bible says it. Faith is of the heart and not of the head. So what do I mean by that? You see, when we say heart, what do we mean? The heart of man, you see, you go to a meeting, and then we're talking about everything, talking about everything. You say, eh, eh, let's get to the cocoa of the matter. Let's get to the heart of this meeting. You mean the center, right? The heart of man is a spirit. First Thessalonians 5.23, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. Sometimes people say that man is a chapatite being. He's not. He's part spirit, part soul, part body. He's not. He's not true. He's not part spirit. He's a spirit. Because God who is a spirit, John 4, 24 said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. You are still as much you outside your body as you are inside your body. So your body is just the house you live in. Remember Luke 16, 19 to 31. Certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fresh sumptuously every day. And a certain beggar named Lazarus laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fresh from the crumbs that fresh from rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Came to pass that Lazarus died and was buried. And notice, angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. But I thought it was, his body was buried. Yes. Yet he says him. Him wasn't his body. His body was just the house that him lived in. I know that's not very good English, but it brings out the point. So the real use of spirit. Faith is of the heart. Faith is of the spirit. Faith is of the spirit. I'll say something. It's a bit dramatic, but I'll say it as dramatic as it is. You know you can't see me. And you know I can't see you. What you can see is the house I'm living in. What I can see is the house you are living in. The real you lives inside that body. Your body is not you. It's just a house you live in. The real you is a spirit. You see, faith is of the spirit. Listen, faith will walk in the heart with doubt in the head. Faith will walk in the heart with doubt in the head. You see, thoughts may come and they may persist. But thoughts that are not expressed in words... Or in actions, die unborn. The most holy saints of God have sometimes found thoughts in their minds that their hearts resented. The fact that you have a doubt thought doesn't mean you're doubting. The fact that you have a fear thought doesn't mean you're fearful. Is a thought. 
Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25. Take no thought for your life, saying. The way you take a thought is by saying it. As long as you haven't said it and you haven't acted it, you haven't taken it. You see, eh? we live in a world where the devil is God. Through our five senses, we contact this world. It's just like the devil. You see, your mind doesn't stay renewed any more than your hair stays combed. You need to. I had to cut mine yesterday night. You have to do yours. Trim it. Do it. Plate it. Burn it. You know, whatever. But you did something to it. Wash it. That's the same thing with our mind. Because we live in a world where the devil is God. And through our five physical senses, we contact that world. The, a time will never come where negative thoughts will not come at you. Yes, sir. It just will not happen. Even Jesus, the devil came at him. If you don't want to have any more trouble with the devil, go to heaven. That's the only place. Are you listening? Yes, we, don't want, we shouldn't dwell on negative thoughts because your mind is the doorway to your heart. And if you dwell on it long enough, it can slip into your heart. However, the devil can still, you know, the devil can be throwing thoughts, thoughts. See, some of the greatest miracles that have happened in my life, eh? the devil kept telling me, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. It won't work, it won't work, it won't work, it won't work. I kept saying from my heart, I believe God. I believe it shall be as it was told me. I believe the word of God. And it happened. There was one like this. I got it like this. No, to the last minute, I was about to get it. The devil said, it won't work. It won't work. When I got it, the devil said, it didn't work. I said, but this is it. Hey, they will, it will change. They will change it. That's just like the devil. Nothing changed it. He stood. Are you listening to me? Yeah. So, faith is of the heart and not of the head. Head faith believes what it can see. Heart faith believes the word of God regardless of the testimony of the physical senses. We walk by faith, not by sight. Thomas, John 20, 24 to 29, classical example, head faith. Abraham, Romans 4, 17 to 21, classical example, heart faith. Head faith believes what it can see. Believes the testimony of the physical senses. Whereas heart faith believes the word of God regardless of the testimony of the physical senses. Heart faith says, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Heart faith says, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved only by what I believe. And I'll say this also, if you really believe, you will act. If you really believe, you'll act. Now, some people can act without believing. Not because they believe. Maybe because somebody told them to act. Some people can believe and not have acted yet on what they believe. Their faith is dead. But for it to be real faith, you need to act. And act out of your heart. So, is there a book of corresponding action? Hey, if you need this, do this. If you need that, do that. If you need husband, go and buy wedding gown. Ha. It may be the wedding gown you bought that chased him. Yes. If you are just giving that relationship a bit more time, that guy might have come to the place where he says, you know what, I'm decided. But if you go and buy a wedding gown and he knows you've bought a I'm not ready, I'm not ready, you just run away. There's no, some people think faith is throwing your drugs away. 
Throwing your drugs away is not necessarily faith. It may just be stupidity. The doctor is fighting the same devil the preacher is fighting. Listen, I'm strong about divine healing. I'm strong about divine health. Eh? But I also know something. Different people are at different levels in their faith. Don't be stupid. Don't kill people. In the name of fake teaching, eh, eh, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right. Because your faith may not be there. Don't go and throw your drugs away. Don't go and let the doctor, if it has happened, the doctor will confirm it. And there's even some situations where the drug won't heal you, won't keep you from getting healed. But the drugs can keep you alive until your faith can take hold of your healing. You know, we have this thing that if you are believing God, you won't use drugs. Where did we get it from? Where did we get Who told us? Proverbs 18 and in verse 9, Amplified Classic, the B part of that verse. He says, he that doesn't use his endeavors to heal himself is brother to him that commits suicide. Your middle name is not Boko Haram. So don't act like one. If you need medical help, get it. And don't feel condemned about it. It's like borrowing. I hear some people say it's a sin to borrow. The Bible says, oh, no man, nothing. You know, ha. My guy. Jesus borrowed Peter's boat. Somebody said, but Jesus paid him for it. He paid him after use. So he used it on credit. <laughs> Elisha told that woman, 2 Kings 4, said, borrow vessels, not a few. He borrowed, plenty borrowing. Plenty, plenty. <laughs> Hey, the Bible says you lend to many nations. You will not borrow. Look, if it's a sin to borrow and you're lending, the person you're lending to is borrowing. So he's sinning. So you're aiding and abetting the sin. You will lend to many nations and you won't borrow. It's not a commandment. It's a promise. God is saying, I will bless you so much until you won't need to borrow. But instead, you will have to lend out. It's possible you are not yet there now. Keep believing God. Keep serving God. In the time being, don't let your children stay out of school because of your ego. Don't let landlord chase you out because of your ego. If you need to use credit, use it. But have wisdom to know how to use it. Don't go and buy gold uh, with four months salary because you want to go for wambe. You will soon wambe. You'll be in trouble. You will be in trouble. Trouble. Wawambe. Inside trouble, big one. So real faith is of the heart, it's not of the head. That's the second point. Third point, faith must be released with words through the mouth. Faith must be released with words through the mouth. You can have what you say. Notice in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, right? Mark eleven twenty three. For verily I say unto you. So that's Jesus doing that first saying. That whosoever, now relative to the whosoever, let's look at the words believe and say. You see, this God kind of faith is kind of faith whereby a person believes a thing in his heart, says with his mouth what he believes in his heart, and it comes to pass. That's the God kind of faith, right? Okay. Whosoever shall say, first say, unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, that's one believe. Now those things which he saith, that's saying some form two times. That's still believe one time. Those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So that's saying some form three times relative to the whosoever. And the believing mentioned only once. Kenneth Higgins said in May of 1951, 
May of 1951. He was in Graham, Texas. He was doing a meeting. He said he heard the Lord speak to him. He heard these words. Did you notice in Mark 11, 23, that relative to the whosoever, that the believer was mentioned once and the saying was mentioned three times. He said, I've never noticed that. He turned to it. Sure enough, he found it there. Then he heard, my people have been taught to have faith. My people have been taught to believe. Where they are missing it primarily is not the believing part of faith. It's in the saying part. You will have to do three times as much teaching and preaching on the same part of faith as you do the believing to get people to see this principle and act on it. Faith must be released with words through the mouth. You can have what you say. I just quoted what the Lord told him. Are you listening? Words. Now, I did a study. I looked through the epistles and I found something out. That there wasn't one time, one, where the church was told to believe. Check it out. Not once. The closest you come to it was Hebrews 4.11. Where the Bible says that we should labor, you know, uh, to enter into rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. That unbelief there is unpersuadableness to act on the word. That was the closest you find. I searched it out. You can search it too. But I discovered that what the epistles emphasize is the same what you believe. You see, the devil does not care what you believe if you don't say it. It doesn't hurt him. Jesus didn't say he shall have whatever he believeth. He said he shall have whatever he saith. Some of us, yes, we are believing, but we are using our mouth to destroy what we believe. Listen, our words dominate us. Our words dominate us. Confession is affirming what you believe. It is testifying to what you know. It is witnessing for the truths that you have embraced. See, when you mention the word confession, most people instinctively think about confessing sin. And yes, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, some people want us to believe that that was written to unbelievers. No, it wasn't. It was written to believers. If you get out of fellowship with God, you need to straighten out and appropriate forgiveness and confess it. Father, I did this. It wasn't right. I appropriate forgiveness for it. Thank you because I'm forgiven in Jesus' name. You need to do that, right? But you see, there is the positive side of confession. The confession of our faith. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passing to the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. That word is homologio. And it means saying the same things. Let's hold fast to saying the same things that God says. And we should keep saying those same things. See, some of us have a double confession. One moment you confess himself took my infirmities and bear my sicknesses. By the stripes of Jesus I'm healed. The next moment you confess this sickness is getting worse. One moment you confess my God supplies all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The next moment you confess ah, this subsidy the way they don't remove. Katakata he choke. Katakata don't bust. Ah, no. No way. No way. We are patching up, oh, I didn't know when you became a vulcanizer. Are you listening to me? Faith must be released with words through the mouth. Your faith is measured by your confession. 
your usefulness to the Lord's work is measured by your confession. All you are today and all you have today is the result of what you believed and said yesterday. If you are not satisfied with where you are at in your faith, in your life, take up on what you've been believing and saying. Confession is the key that unlocks faith. Our words dominate us. Our words dominate us. There are certain things you will they will never come out of my mouth. I don't believe in sickness. I don't talk sickness. I don't believe in poverty. I don't talk poverty. I don't believe in failure. I don't talk failure. I believe the word of God. And I've learned to speak in line with God's word. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. See, you may have some lusts that you are struggling with. It may be your temper. It may be you are watching porn. Yeah, we're talking, right? It's church. I know we like to lie, you know? <laughs> and everybody likes to form saints, you know? Yeah, we are saints, really. But Christians sometimes have challenges in some of these areas. Look, you can kill it. Bible says, mortify therefore your members that are upon the earth. Bring them to death. How do you do that? Your words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words dominate you. Your words dominate you. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Say what Paul said. Do what Paul did. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My body is not me. It's the house I live in. My body doesn't tell me what to do. I tell it what to do. Amen. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. If you hold fast your confession of who you are in Christ, it will dominate you. Hey, listen to me. Yeah, there's somebody you are entangled with her or you are entangled with him and you know it is wrong. But you are, it's almost like you cannot help yourself. Listen, kill it. How? Your mouth. Your mouth. Talk yourself out of it. Talk yourself out of it. Talk yourself out of it. Just start saying to yourself, no, that, that, that guy, he's not in my life anymore. I'm not emotionally attached to him. And as you are saying that, you still feel emotionally. It's okay. Just keep saying it. Just keep saying it. You see, I found out that you can break any habit, any bad habit, no matter how long you have had it for, if you will use your mouth. The tongue is the bridle. It will control your body. It will control your life. Are you listening to me? Our words. Our words. Words are the mightiest things in the universe. I don't just speak words. I use them. I use them. Now, while I'm here, I will say something. Hmm? Something that is pretty important. Very important. And this is it. Faith calls the things that be not as though they were. Faith doesn't call the things that be as though they be not. There's a difference between a faith confession hmm? and, just, and just mere talk. For instance, we have, these are Christianese. Someone we call, say, Pastor, I won't be able to come this evening. I'm strong. <laughs> yes, Joel 3.10 says that the weak say I'm strong. Now, some people say the context, the context. Look, even if the context says something different, that's a Bible principle. The weak should say I'm strong. But don't say I'm strong and you mean I'm weak. You don't believe what you are saying. James 1.26 says, if you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your heart. Don't say I'm strong and stay back. If you want to stay back, say, Pastor, I'm feeling weak and I want to rest. We won't kill you. But you say, Pastor, I'm strong. You know, they'll come and meet you. 
uh, after service. <laughs> My guy, how far? I'm very rich, oh. You feel raise me? Uh, uh, what you really mean is, I don't have money on me. Tell him. Tell the person. My guy, uh, I'm a little low on cash at the moment. Can I get a little help? That's okay. But you see, we just have a lot of, some of these things are Christianese. In the name of confession, come, people can make conversation. You see, you see, Jesus did not say, whosoever shall say there is no mountain. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. If there's a mountain, there's a mountain. Admitting there's a problem is not unbelief. You can't fix a problem you don't face up to. So you first have to tell yourself, this, there is a problem. I have a problem. This is the problem. Now, what does God's word say about it? Then speak what the word of God says concerning it. Imagine a sinner that says, I'm not a sinner, I'm not a sinner, I'm not a sinner. Then he will go to hell. He has to realize he's a sinner. Then he has to confess that Jesus is his Lord. He's to call in salvation. Imagine a sick person saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. Then you don't need healing. All you need is healing. You can't get healing until you first realize that you are sick. Then you say, okay, what does God's word say? Then you now speak the word of God concerning your health. And you now say, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. Hope I'm making sense. Yeah. Lastly, as I fix to quit. Number four, faith works by love. Faith, faith works by love. Verse 25 said, and when you stand praying, Mark eleven twenty-five, 25, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. If you do not forgive, neither will your father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Are you listening to me? Faith will not work if there's an air of unforgiveness about you. Yeah. Galatians 5, 6 says, faith will work by love. What does that mean? Two things. You see, who, if you know somebody loves you, it's easier to trust the person. The more you understand God's love for you, the easier it becomes for you to exercise faith. But there's the flip side of that coin. That that same love that God has for you, God wants to operate it through you to other people. And if you don't let it lose, it will also hinder your faith. You see, unforgiveness, hmm? whether it's towards yourself or it's towards someone else, is a big hindrance to faith. I've learned to be quick to forgive. Quick to forgive. No matter what you do to me, no matter what you say about me, if you start hurting me, I'll start praying for you. I found out that it's difficult for me to hold something against you while I'm praying for you. If you do me evil, I'll do you good. I'll do you good. I'll send you a gift. I'll pray for you. I'll speak good words about you. If you, if you try to cut me out, I will bless you. Cancel culture. If you try to cancel me, I will bless you. There was one guy, you know, he posted something, one quote, purportedly from Brother Hagin. And now, but it was public. It was actually a prophecy. He was trying to make the prophecy say what it doesn't say. And I've actually heard Pastor Higgins say, some people do that with some of Brother Higgins' prophecies, to make them say something that it's, it's, it, we shouldn't be doing it. So I now put something there that actually this prophecy was in another context and it addressed something that happened there. The guy came immediately, started attacking me in the next comment. I saw it. I told myself, my guy, jump and pass. What did I say? I said, how are you doing? It's been a long time. I acted like he didn't say anything. You should, you should have seen the kind of conviction that came on him. He felt, he, he, felt, he felt like a fool. 
Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. How did God forgive us? Because we deserved it? No. Because we repented? No. You see, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Someone is stabbing you in the back, stabbing you in the back. You see the same person there, you're not, and he's holding a knife. You now turn your back. You say, you're walking in love. No, you're not walking in love. You're being stupid. He will stab you again. And rightly so. Not as though I'm for stabbing, but I'm just saying, you're being foolish. Are you listening? Reconciliation is contingent on their repentance. But whether they repent or they don't repent, we forgive them. We don't forgive them because they repent. We forgive them because we walk in love. Listen, when you really forgive, you will stop talking about it. You will stop thinking about it. You will stop dwelling on it. When God forgave us, he said, I, even I, am he that blotted out that transgressions for my own sake and will not remember that iniquities. Does he mean he lost his memory? No. He just stopped referring to it. Can we do the same for ourselves? I'm strong about faith, but I'm stronger about love. Love is the most potent characteristic of God. God is love much more than is anything else. And guess what? I gotta quit because I'm out of time. Let's say this together. I walk by faith. Not by sight. I believe God. I speak his word. I'm a victor. I go from faith to faith. From victory to victory. In Jesus' name. Do you believe that? Well, give Jesus a shout of praise.